I'm Josh Nielsen. I'm the founder and CEO at Zencaster.com. We help podcasters and thought leaders, anybody trying to get their message out, um, record in high quality, easily produce, publish, distribute, grow, and even monetize. And obviously the podcasting game, super popular right now. Everyone and their dog kind of starting podcasts. How'd you get into this? Were you always interested in podcasting um, when you started out? Or was this something that really just came with time and the growth of podcasting just became more and more relevant to have a product like this? Yeah, I actually did not plan on creating a company in the podcasting space. Uh, it was really a the result of starting a company kind of in a totally different direction, um, actually in the music space, trying to build a service to help electronic musicians collaborate and create music together online and create a repository of license-free content that you could remix without having to worry about copyright and all that. Um, and just really tough space, uh, made a lot of kind of first time founder mistakes with that one. Uh, but as we were working on that project, pitching it, um, somebody said along the way, look, I don't know about this music stuff, but I know podcasters have a problem uh, getting, uh, you know, I think he said like sharing audio files. I didn't really understand what that meant at the time when I was like, you know, that's great, but my passion is in this music stuff. So I'm going to stick with this. But once that project wound down and, uh, you know, I, some life things happened, like I found out I had a, a baby on the way and, uh, I was like, you know, I, and I was looking for a good path to revenue. I, thought back about that. And I, you know, I've always listened to podcasts, but I'd never been involved in making one, but I knew a lot of, I had a lot of friends who had like a Dodgers podcast and, uh, you know, different ones. So I started interviewing the, my friends about like, Hey, what's, what, what was this guy talking about? What's the problem there? And come to find out 80 plus percent of podcasts have either a remote guest or a remote co-host. And, uh, back then they were using Skype to record those calls. And, if even at best it was highly compressing the audio uh, and or video and it would also um if the internet connection was bad at all uh then you would have dropouts robotic sounds you know art pixel you know all kinds of just bad uh you know bad sounds bad look and all that and that really annoys podcast audiences and to the point where they were reaching out to the hosts on twitter like I'm not, I'm unsubscribing. I can't listen to this. Like, and so it was a really major pain point for the podcasters. And I realized that a lot of that technology I'd been building, uh, for that other project in the music space could actually be sort of retrofitted into solving this problem. The first iteration of that product was uh, a web app where you simply send a link to whoever you want to record with anywhere in the world. It opens you up in a call. And when you hit record, it records them locally on their end, me locally on my end. And then we mix those two files together in the cloud after the fact. So you got that great same room sound. And um, that was really, as it was, it was that simple. And in fact, it was even simpler. The first version didn't even connect you in a, in a VoIP call. It was intended to run alongside Skype or, um, you know, later on Zoom or whatever, and it would just record each person, but you still had to have a call going alongside, even if it was like on a phone, on a telephone or something. And so that was like the very, very MVP version of it. And we added, we rolled in our own VoIP system later on as well. So, um, 
yeah, that was sort of how I follow basically followed my nose, uh, just by trying basically by heading in the wrong direction, eventually finding, you know, something that actually was uh, something that had product market fit. That's always a story you always hear from founders where it's like, you know, we start to doing one thing and then we realized, oh, we are solving the right issue for the wrong audience. And then kind of having that pivot. I mean, have you ever seen Silicon Valley? It's the same thing. They try to make Pied Piper and then it's like, oh, this is the best compression algorithm. Let's just use it for compressing things. It's the same thing where mm-hmm. the problem is always there, but really finding and listening to your customer journey really is that differentiation between like having a great idea and then trying to get form that business and build that MVP. Like you said, the MVP can really be minimum. You don't need complexity. You don't need a hundred person team to make something. As long as you're showing value, you get people interested. So, you know, once you started there and you found now found, okay, I have an audience I'm going after. We think their product now has some viability. How do you then go from that to trying then to really form the business and generate revenue? Was it a initial like a freemium model or was it, hey, let's just focus on getting as many people interested in as possible and let's figure out monetization, monetization layer down the road. How that conversation happened with yourself? Yeah, I think it was very much the latter. Like I was just like, I just want somebody to like that first music project. I think, you know, we had like under 50 registered mm-hmm. people like ever sign up for it. So I was like just really hungry to build something that people would use. Um and then I was like, if people use it, then we can figure out where the, what the monetization looks like. And so, um, I actually ran it for almost two years as a free service. There wasn't even a way to pay. Um, people would ask like, Hey, I love this. Can I give you some money? I'm like, I, yeah, maybe sometime. Let me figure that part out. Um, but you know, part of that was my own kind of fear of, what's going to happen when I do kind of flip that lever. Um, is it, you know, I just, you know, I think that was sort of an irrational fear. It took me too long. Also, it took me a while to just integrate the billing system, but, and, and I was building on new brand new technology in the browsers and the browsers were changing these APIs all the time. And so for a while it was, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was maybe stable enough to really charge for, but that matured as time went on and yeah, eventually, uh, you know, built it out. And I, 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 I was contracting for other startups doing, I'm a software developer and doing that as I went along. So I didn't have like a limited runway. I was working for other people four to six hours a day. And then I was working on Zencaster the rest of the time. And so that gave me the space to kind of do that. And that made it take longer for sure. But it also, um, was kind of a good thing because when I started, as I mentioned, these APIs were really unstable. So that needed time to mature. Also, the when I started working on this, podcasting was not an exciting space. Like nobody was really making money in it. There was, um, it had been around for like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years or something. So it wasn't like a new thing and they, nobody really thought it was going to take off. But it so happened that as I was building it, then, you know, a few inflection points happened, like Serial and This American Life started getting like a million downloads per episode. And that's when everybody's heads turned and suddenly you had, you know, Amazon and Spotify and Google and whoever else, all the big companies saying, hey, maybe we're going to have a start a podcasting initiative. Like, let's there's there's money over there. Let's uh, let's go get it. And so that just put a lot of 
uh, more interest in the space, put, put it on a really good growth trend. A lot of creators saw that people were making money in podcasting now and they wanted to get in on it. And so, yeah, that time that I kind of spent doing it free and incubating it was ended up being, I think, a good thing, even though it took a long time. It was a lot of work and it was very speculative until I actually started charging. I hear more and more now is the idea of starting a company and then taking that time to figure out product market fit, to get used to the technology. I think a lot of times it is glorified of like quitting everything, remortgaging your home and trying to start with an idea. But like you touched on, that gives you a lot of pressure to really find a fit very quickly. And sometimes the market just not in the right spot. Like you said, if you try to quit everything, just do a podcasting, especially 2015, 2016, early, even in those early days, the market's so tiny. But now everyone's looking back, like, well, obviously podcasting's huge. But like you said, when you started, podcasting was not large. I mean, we see the same thing in every industry. Like YouTube, who's ever going to make money being a YouTuber? Now the common thing every child wants to be is an influencer. So things can change very quickly, but you need that time to kind of build and figure out uh, the fit. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I, there was, did come a point where I did have to sort of take a leap, but yeah. that was after I already had thousands of people actively using the service. Um, and it was actually getting too big for me to run myself just from like dealing with customer support, all that stuff. And in the end, I basically, I was like, I got to quit my job, but I don't have revenue yet. So I ended up like signing up for like three or four credit cards all at once. And me and my wife and my new like one-year-old moved to Thailand to kind of live on the cheap and spent that six month period just uh, living on high interest rate credit cards and um, getting billing launched. And, Mm -hmm. you know, luckily that worked out. I don't recommend that by the way, to any of your listeners, like I, this was a calculated risk once I knew that I had product market fit Mm -hmm. and I had a good idea of what people were going to pay for. And in that case, it was wave wave files instead of mp3 recording only and i I think some higher limits on like how much you could record uh i actually can't remember exactly but you know and that was sort of a magical moment because i had a lot on the line i was facing you know financial ruin if it didn't work but luckily that first month of uh charging did something like 17k in mrr and um then the it sort of has this organic viral, not viral, but like an organic growth um, system because it's something that you use with other people. And so they're, they're, the creators are always bringing on new people to the platform that are not exposed to it before they see how easy it is. Hey, maybe I'll start my own podcast and that sort of a thing. So, and that was sort of just a byproduct of the product that wasn't planned. That was just yeah. sort of, it was lucky that it worked out that way. It is very unique being a product where innately the user also becomes a like a spokesperson for the product because you're you say you're introducing other people to it. So it has that like fun like the mushroom growth, like like you know, just everything starts spreading out organically and getting that literally word of mouth because you're literally talking to one another through this platform. So that's pretty pretty unique, like says I guess byproduct of it. And like you said. That product market fit is such a ma- magical point because although obviously you took a huge risk, you have at least something to say. People are willing to pay for this. Now it's my time to really make that make that transition over, make that jump. How how did you start getting your first customers? Obviously, you, like you said, you were talking to a few friends who had podcasts, but how did that initially start? Was it through ads? Was it really just through word of mouth? Or how did you get the idea to gain those first thousand users on board? 
So, you know, the first like few people that tried it were like my friends that I had interviewed, you know, the, the podcasters that I knew. Um, but getting from like zero to 100, um, is actually going on Twitter. Uh, as I mentioned before, the audiences were flaming the hosts on Twitter whenever they had bad quality. And so I could do search terms in Twitter that was like, um, I'd, it'd be like Skype fucked my podcast or like yeah. whatever. Cause you'd have the hosts out there running defense. Like, Hey guys, it's not my, sorry, it's not my fault. Skype ruined it. Like I'll do something. So it was like all these kind of expletive searches around podcasting. Yeah. I would, I would reach out and say, Hey, I see you've got this problem. Uh, we solved it. Come try it out. And it was such a big pain point that like almost every single person that I reached out at least came and tried out the platform and some of them are still using it today. Um, and that was, that got us from like zero to 100. And then I think at that point, somebody product hunted it and that went from like a hundred to a thousand. And then that's when just that organic kind of guest to host conversion loop kind of kicked in and kept growing it from there. And at that point we saw pretty steady kind of like 5% month over month growth just from that word of mouth. Always the thing. It's like getting the first, what you, what you do to get to first customers is not working is not what you're going to do to get to the next thousand, but you have to get a little bit unique, gritty, a little bit unique way of acquiring those users and then getting that organic growth. And that's such a unique and straightforward way of getting users. I know many other founders as well. It's like, Hey, people complain online all the time. In fact, that's probably what 90% of social media is. Why don't we use that to figure out what are these pain points and then talk to the people who have those pain points to see how we can solve them. So it's a very ingenious way of getting at least people you knew were actually interested in in this type of product. Obviously, then 2020 happens, uh, a thing called COVID happens, and everyone starts going remote and online. Did you see a, a large spike then with that? Because I'm assuming now almost all podcasts have to be virtual now. The idea of talking over a Zoom call or Skype call or I guess this guy's Zencaster wasn't that weird anymore. People were getting used to that digital conversations. Did you see that a huge spike from that? Or was it because the idea was already, because you're already growing so much, there wasn't a huge kind of flipping of the switch once COVID became more virtual? No, COVID was a big um, impact for for us for the better, which felt a little bit um, bittersweet because it was like this really bad thing is happening, but like we're benefiting from it. But um, yeah, it, that definitely just a lot more people were at home. A lot more people were trying to connect. A lot more people were thinking about, Maybe I'm going to quit my job and do something else. Maybe I'm going to start that podcast I've always been thinking about. And so during that period, I think, I don't remember exactly, but we were seeing at least like 30, 40% growth uh, a month wow. over month at, at certain times. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was, it was a big inflection point for the business. And that's what sort of set us up to be able to take that next step going from like a bootstrapped kind of lifestyle business to then um, attracting the interest of some venture capital and then, um, raising some money to really build out the rest of the business. Because what we found is that podcasters have a lot of problems, not just, it's not just, it's not just getting that high quality recording that solves your problem. That's just the beginning. Uh, you got to figure out how to produce this, how to find great guests, how to get it hosted and distributed, find your audience and actually grow it, which is maybe, you know, the, the part that people care about the most, um, the recording in quality was just the means to an end. 
And we mm-hmm. wanted to really zoom out as a business and focus on, you know, what is the real goal of the creator? It's not a high quality recording. It's to have their voice be heard by as many people and, you know, potentially monetize or drive leads to their business or whatever. Podcasters are pretty entrepreneurial. And so that's how we sort of refocused and zoomed out the business. I worked in a digital health space or a mental health space. And it was the same thing. It was a few clients a month and then COVID occurred and we went from like two to three to 80 in a month. So it's all the same thing where you feel bad. Hey, we're business is growing due to this digital thing, but obviously now made, and especially in Canada, digital health become almost the norm. People are not used to visiting their doctors online, talking to their therapists online. So it is, I saw a very similar shift in the market, how dramatic it was when people started to try these new products and also stayed with it when, when they tried it out. Probably similar to you, you realize, oh, this is easy. This is great. I took the step. Now I'm using it. Now I'm a customer for life to some extent. Obviously, podcasters have a lot of challenges. You're a small team. There's a million problems to solve. How are you choosing which products to focus on? Because obviously, there's a thousand things you can do. Where do you start figuring, okay, this is top priority and kind of work your way down? One of the lucky things about our business and our uh, you know, our customers is that they're not shy to talk about what they want, you know? And so we've always, that's never been a huge problem is like knowing what's needed next. We've like, even from like the very first launch of the free plan, um, people like, Hey, I'd love to have this on my mobile app. I'd love to, um, be able to do video as well as just audio. Cause it didn't have video in the beginning. Um, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to just have it be all in one. So I don't have to jump between all these different tools and services. So we had a pretty clear idea of like what that grand plan looked like. I think where we definitely made some missteps was in the order in which we've executed on it. And I would say maybe, um, one of the biggest ones is like not getting to the growth side quickly enough. Now we're really focused on that. We have like an AI tool that helps you clip the best parts of your show, help you can connect your social accounts and distribute it, schedule them and all that. And we've seen some really amazing growth and people finding their audiences a lot faster using that. And I wish that's just something that we could, we could have done a lot sooner and could have been really, well, I don't know. The AI stuff is definitely hitting its stride now, but we, that's a piece that I think is maybe has an outsized value to podcasters that if we could have done that sooner, we'd, we'd be better off, but you know, live and learn, uh, we're doing it now. And, um, that's really, I guess, like I was saying, speaking to the real reason why people are creating is for the audience, not to like, you know, just record or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. Also like the entrepreneurship journey, like why do people create businesses? To some extent is to make money, but most of the time, the why they get started is like that passion to create, to solve a real problem. It's that like high level, almost emotional level of like, I want, this is a real core issue to me, or I really want to create something that has that legacy. So I think it's the same thing with podcasting where there's a lot more to it than just like the, you know, okay, input versus house, but there's a lot of that creativity energy around it as well. You obviously now company's growing, you have it's starting to really grow momentum on a larger for sure podcasting platforms. How is it being from that solo, no, small team, maybe just you kind of working out as a pet project to now having as a full blown business, what have you found being like the, I don't know if you say challenges, but like the learning curve of trying to run now a team rather than maybe just you kind of choosing what to do. 
How has that shift been for you during this whole process? That was rough. That's still rough. Um, I did not, you know, my kind of goals starting the business was I was kind of wanting to do a solopreneur thing and I just ended up building the wrong business for that, or rather it got, it, it, it was a business that just grew too big for that. And, um, it's not that I like, I mean, I'm, I'm very excited. Like we built an amazing team and like, it's really amazing to work along all these great people, but I was never like, Oh, I want to like manage a lot of people. That's my, that was never like my passion or my idea. And, um, I've always really enjoyed the hands-on like programming part. That's something I can do for like sit down and do it for like 10, 12 hours and not, you know, like I can get into it. Um, I, I enjoy it. Um, and you know, at a certain point that doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, we've got way better people at that, that, that do that for us now. And so that's a little bit tough to be not doing maybe the part that I really came easiest and that I liked the most, but you know, it's, you can only do the same thing for so long anyway. That was part of the reason why we ended up raising money was not just because we could, but it was like, Hey, you know, at that point I've done the bootstrapped, you know, small lifestyle business for several years now. Like let's do something new. Let's learn some new, new tricks. And, um, so it's definitely been growing pains. Um, but I don't, you know, it's the, it is what it is. And I've learned a lot of other school tools and skill sets and also just been very, uh, a lot of surprises along the way, because as you mentioned before the call, there's this glamorized version of what it is to have your own company or even, you know, build a startup. And then you, in, in, I think especially engineers oftentimes tend to think like, Hey, I'm building all of the, I'm building all the, the infrastructure and the code for this business. Like I could have my own business. I could just do like, why, why am I building it for someone else? Why don't I just build it for myself? And then you learn, oh, there's actually a lot of different layers that you need to be worried about um, that you may not want to worry about <laughs> uh, if you're going to find success in a business, like the marketing stuff, fundraising, people skills, the management, like payroll, you know, it, um, I was a little bit, um, I wonder now if I knew how hard it would really be if I would actually have had the courage to take that first step. Luckily I was delusional enough to, uh, just, just run in blind and learn, learn as I went. Always hear about, uh, when founders kind of looking back, it's you know, the classic saying, I quit my 40 hour job, 40 hour week job to work 80 hours. It's like the classic saying of being an entrepreneur, but also I always hear from founders, like when you start the idea, you're like, I'm going to, if you like marketing, I'm going to do marketing. I'm going to be a marketing person or especially a lot of devs I've worked with. It's like, I can create this myself. I'm just going to make it myself. And then you start running a business and you realize 90% of my time as a founder, a CEO is just dealing with problems, not doing that creative fun stuff you could say on paper that got you into it. And I think that's one of the things people, I don't know if they don't know, but it's not as glamorized to be like, oh, today I had seven, eight, you know, seven meetings with like hiring and doing payroll and then accounting. And you sure you, there are some exciting things, but it is like you said, being a founder, you're kind of doing a lot of the things no one else really wants to do. And then really helping grow a business. So I guess it's like having a children. I don't have children yet, but they always say it's like looking back, you're like, it was a great experience. But in the moment, you're like, 
why why are you taking your shirt off? Why is there food everywhere? What's going on? It's always that thing. It's looking back sounds great, but in the moment you're like, was this a mistake? What am I doing here? And I always hear those analogies. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, and I think it's maybe one of the other factors that's really hard for me is I'm not a great multitasker. Uh, I, I can sit down and focus on one problem, do really well, but if you've got to shift focus every 30 minutes or every hour, that can be really difficult, especially across different, uh, skill sets. Uh, that's been a real challenge as well. And really the solution for that has been hiring great people to, to, to help deal with that. And I think that's one of the things I wish I would have done sooner as well is figured out how to scale the team up sooner, hire the right people sooner, because it was a night and day difference from having like for so long, it was like me and like an engineer and like a, one customer support person. And like, I was still in all of it and uh, it was super stressful uh, and just overwhelming. And um, I was, you know, questioning all of the, everything. I was like, man, it, and, and, and it was especially almost, dep- I was kind of depressed because I started this business. One of my goals was I almost want to make $15,000 a month. That's what I was like. That's when you're, you know, have more financial freedom. You're kind of out of the rat race. You can afford to do some of the things as long as you're, you know, managing your money. All right. And that happened in the first month of charging. And then it was like, well, I still have a bunch of problems. I don't feel like particularly happier. Like one problem has gone away which is, you know, that worry about money, but like so much of your other problems in life are not even related to that. And it was like, I, I don't, and then I was like, man, do I not know what I want? I thought I knew what I wanted. I got it. And now I don't know what I want anymore. And that was a, and then I, that was when I really had to try and think of like, what is the next stage of the business that brings kind of more self-actualization and happiness. And that's when I started to realize, Hey, this is a bigger business. This can support a team of people, um, that we can help change their lives, not just my own. And then, um, as well as like then looking onto our creators and this is where we're getting into growth and monetization. Can we change their lives? Can we help our creators and our customers get out of their rat race too and do what they love? Um, and that's what I've found is sort of that next, um, stage of fulfillment, um, and kind of the, the, the path that we've chosen. Well, you, you touch on something you always hear and it's, you never believe until it happens to you. They say like, Hey, when you start a business, getting the money, you won't be fulfilled. You need to enjoy the journey. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I'm different. Once I have some money, (laughs) I'll be so happy. And that's what someone said that I wish everyone had money so they could realize money isn't the end goal. But when you need money, it's the only thing you can think about type thing. So it, it is that thing you constantly hear. It's like the founder raises series A or sells their company and they're sitting at home thinking, well, that, I don't feel any better now. Like I, I, now I don't have to worry about bills, but I don't, what do I do with my life now? And it's like that transition of realizing like, okay, I need to be some self-actualization. We need to have something that is purpose-driven that can really get me excited every day to kind of wake up and work on something. So it's a very interesting story. But again, like you said, you think you know the answer and then you realize, I really don't know what I want in life. And I think that's always a journey throughout your whole life of trying to find ways to stay happy and be happy. Now, obviously, business is growing successful. As we kind of wrap up here, what does the future look like? Obviously, 
probably still focus on podcasting, but like, where is the next kind of stages with Zencaster? Kind of where do you see the future going over the next five years? Might be too far, but at least over the next few years, as the digital nomad lifestyle is more of a standard now, I'd say. Kind of where do you see the future going through podcasting, the business in general? I guess the whole this whole world of digital people talking. Yeah, I think. You know, we've still got a lot of work left to do just on the podcasting space as far as like making, putting, automating everything that all the hard parts and making it so that you can just um, do what you're great at, have those conversations and we'll handle all the rest. Um, But we're getting pretty close. You know, we're launching some more advanced editing tools and things like that. But one of the areas that we're looking for towards the future is um, we've started, you know, scratching the surface on uh, helping people monetize and actually go independent on their podcasts. I think that's really satisfying to see that for other people. And there's just thousands, tens of thousands, you know, maybe hundreds, you know, more that we can help with that. And so being able to scale that up and, um, just help change as many lives as we can in that regard is still something that we've got a lot of uh, headroom left on. And then also we found that, you know, a lot of podcasters don't necessarily self-identify as podcasters. They're content marketers or thought leaders. And this is one of the channels that they're using to get the word out. And there's also a lot of people that want to start a podcast or think they want to start a podcast. And then they find, Hey, that's actually takes a lot of work. You got to be really, um, uh, committed and regular about it and, you know, get that episode out every week to continue to grow your audience. And for some people, that's just not who they are. It's not the right channel for them. And more and more, we're seeing that people, the audiences are consuming podcasts by way of clips rather than watching or listening to the the whole long form piece of content. That's becoming more and more of like a super fan uh, experience. Whereas you're going to reach the new audience members by saying, Hey, here's a two minute clip of some really targeted and valuable information for you. And so expanding the net a little bit from outside of just focusing on um, podcasters only, although they are bread and butter, really primary focus for us, but helping those people that maybe that's not the right platform or tool for them to also have their voice heard by way of, you know, getting clips out on all these social platforms and just helping the podcasters expand from having a podcast to being uh, kind of om- uh, omni-channel on all the platforms as well. It is interesting how the growth of podcasting now is short-form clips. Like the complete opposite. Podcast was always be long-form, free-flowing conversation, and now all the growth and people are faking podcasts almost in clips. It's It's just funny how that, like, the two opposite ends are kind of coming together to create a really unique omni-channel approach to content creation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it is interesting and I think it's a good thing because, you know, as a creator, you want to find your audience wherever they're at. You don't want to have to force them to come to you in the way that you want. Like if you can provide value in long form, great. If you can provide value with these clips, even better. And um, oftentimes what you'll see, I mean, I do this personally, I'll see a podcast. I'm like, I don't have three. Some some of these podcasts are so long. Like I can't, I'm never going to say I've got three hours to listen to this piece of content, but I'll watch like all the clips to where I end up watching all of it anyway. But it's just like a mind hack. Like I, I can't, I won't commit to that long one, but I'll watch it in five minute clips throughout, you know, and end up watching it all anyway. 
So um, it's a great way to not only find new audiences, but just fit your content into the lives of the people that maybe even already know about you and just have a hard time, you know, having that much time to commit to anything. It's like the whole idea of project manager going from waterfall push to sprints. Now we have many little meetings and it's all oh, so much easier and bite-sized, but same amount of work, just broken yeah. up in little, little chunks. Yeah, exactly. the same thing. 